You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the Green Dragon. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Matt, and today I have here with me Josh. Hello. David. Greetings. And Danny. Hi. Now, today we're going to be talking about a few things regarding our community and how we interact with our player base in Australia, particularly. So, I think we're going to start with a little bit of a talk about our Facebook page, which, uh, coincidentally enough, Josh here set up, not planned at all. We just happened to have him here. Yeah, hi. That was, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I mean, we've got over 400 members now for our, the Australian Lord of the Rings and Hobbit strategy battle game community. I think I got that right. And that originally was just a start off between a few mates just trying to organize battles and provide information for tournaments and yeah it's a little over two years old now so it's done really really well for itself it seems to be working yes which is nice unlike a lot of things that i try and do <laughs> but um yeah it's really good it's brought a lot of people together not just here in australia but we've also got a few people overseas in new zealand a few from the uk even a few from uh, other parts of europe and the united states so predominantly Australian, like predominantly majority of the content is provided by those of us from Australia. But it, uh, yeah, it's it's nice to see a form of social media can be used positively like this to bring it into the into the community pretty much. So it's not too bad. Yeah, so when you first set up the page, Josh, what ideas did you have for it? How did you think it would pan out? Well, I I was sitting there when we first thought it up going, cool, this would be great. I'll get like maybe 30, 40 people on here to help us promote tournaments and promote the community, interact and help plan and organise. And it kind of spread like wildfire. Um, just after we did a few travels to tournaments in the state, uh, mainly South Australia and Sydney, it just went boom and exploded and we hit 100 members within just like a few weeks of actually creating it. So it definitely was uh, a bit bigger than we ever envisioned, which is nice. But it's interesting. It allows people, particularly with the Facebook page, to upload photos uh, and videos straight away, showcase what we're doing, which is cool. And the events tab pretty much lets us showcase what events are being run and everything like everything like that, which is really cool. Yeah, it's it just provided a different medium. Like people used to use a lot of forums for doing it, like. Wondering Last Alliance, a lot of those big ones that we've all been a part of, and kind of just given it where we can have a bit more control and everything's live and not updates you, and it's just a different way of doing it, which is nice, and it's been relatively well accepted now, which is good. Yeah, I think you've done a really good job with it, Josh. It's it's really become a mainstay of our entire community down here. So, uh, David, in what ways do you use the Facebook page, and what do you find most interesting about it? What I like about the Facebook page is you don't have to know the guy who knows the guy who knows the guy who's running the tournament. You go onto the page and it comes up, you have been invited to this tournament. You look at it and go, where on earth is that? But the point is, you know what's happening. If, you, if you're free that weekend, you've suddenly got a tournament lined up. Yeah, fantastic. How about you, Danny? Probably the same point's already made. It's, it is really useful for not only events and stuff, but sort of keeping tabs sort of on the people you meet at tournaments because I'm terrible with names and I'll forget Josh or something. There's that dude who had owls that I shot at Minimize or something, you know. <laughs> but when you see their name popping up more, it's a lot easier to put names to faces. Yeah, absolutely. What opportunities do you guys think the Facebook page has really opened up for us? Like uh, Interaction. Interaction? Hands down. I mean, yeah. you're now talking to people about 
The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings with people you've never met face to face. You're discussing new models, new tactics, new ways of painting, conversion ideas. It's not even about tournaments the majority of the time. It's more just discussion and positive take on the hobby, which is really nice. And it's not the same people commenting over and over again. You've got a wide variety of people providing both positives and negatives because you do need to take both on. And just building from there and working with a bit of constructive criticism and just interesting to see how all those little elements come together and kind of given it a bit of fluidity to the whole situation. Like it moves. We have comments where people have a chat for an hour and it ends up with 150 comments on it. We have rules questions that a lot of people have never had the courage to ask or have wanted to contact Games Workshop that we've solved ourselves and little things like that that have kind of given us a really nice opportunity. Another thing we probably need to talk about is some of the obstacles that the community Facebook page still faces. Now, as an admin myself, I know that it can be difficult at times uh, knowing where to draw the line and where to control people to the point where they're not getting out of hand sometimes with negativity. I'm sure you felt that too, Josh. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's an interesting one. One of the big ones, and I'm interested to get Danny and David's thoughts and opinions on this, is one of the big challenges when we set it up was not... Uh, allowing people or trying to keep buying, selling and trading off the page and trying to get it more about the discussion of the hobby as a whole as opposed to how to get models, making money and other stuff like that. Like We also stopped businesses promoting on the page and a few others trying to keep it balanced. What are your thoughts on that, guys? Because I haven't really ever spoken to many people about it. I know a few people are a little bit against it, but a lot of people are also for it. So I'd be interested to see your opinions. From the point of view of not being able to buy and sell models on the page, I saw a few things early on where it was a case of this post has been removed. But after that, I think it's settled down. People know the rules. They accept them. It doesn't really get in the way because other pages have opened up to cater for that. That's fine. What I'm more interested in is, do you think it's something that should be on the page? I personally find it better that there's no buying and selling because if I want to do that, I'll go to the dedicated Australian buy, swap and sell page. If I'm looking for something or to sell something, it means that everyone can go to the same spot for purchasing and business yeah. stuff and yeah. then we can keep the um, main page for rules, painting, That'd be queries interesting because that'd, that'd make it easier to find models that you're after as well because you don't have to search through comments about yeah. Thorin Oak and Shield shielding or this model that I painted up today and other stuff like that, which we do want to see as a community, but if you're looking for something specific I guess breaking them and separating it would be a, a bit of a helpful way of doing it keeping them separate seems to be working so far so so we can see I guess that uh, the Facebook page has been really popular we know that from just from the number of people that have joined up there hasn't been too much that's gone wrong with it it's been an all-round success so yeah I guess we'll continue to use that into the uh far future well yeah it's just been really positive which is good I think yeah. that, that's great to see a community that's actually build and growing and staying together which is nice Yep. The next topic that we're going to move along to is tournaments, particularly in Australia. So we're going to start by talking about just the massive increase that we've had in the number and in the number of players in tournaments in the last two years or so. Danny, uh, how many tournaments do you think you've been along to in the last couple of years? Maybe three or four years, maybe five. I don't think any I don't know. any of us here at this table go to as many as you, Matt. I think you're yeah. hands down the, probably the biggest dedicated attendee for a lot of tournaments here. Arguably, there are other members of the community who are more well-known for attending tournaments, but let's leave that for a later date, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I do like to get around myself to uh, other states and that sort of thing, so yeah. How has your experience with the more recent tournament scene and the fact that a lot of people do know each other now because it's been going along for so long, David? Pretty much you build up sort of 
an internal index of players. You go, ah, yes, this is the goblin player from last time. You get a feel for how people play. It adds an extra dimension to the game. And it's good sure. fun to see people you know. Yeah, well, one of the things that I've probably learnt the most from tournaments is just how people from different states play. Here in Victoria, we're very much skirmish-based. We're very much all about moving the models individually. We're a lot more about the flow and control of it. Having experienced tournaments now in a few different states, uh, a lot of the guys in Adelaide particularly like the shield wall approach, the batteries of archers on the hill firing down, and slowly it's adapting. Like, we're all, because of the interaction between states now, people travelling for tournaments, we're all learning off each other, and it's kind of developing and changing the whole style, and it's becoming a bit more of a, a standard way of playing Almost. I think you just described my main style of play anyway, so... (laughs) Oh, well. Pretty much every tactic we say on this podcast, David does the complete opposite and has success with. So he thinks we're stupid and we think he is a bit dumb. (laughs) What was was that thing you ran to Arcanicon at the start of the year? Start of the year? Was that the Moomark? Is that the Moomark on its own? No, that that wasn't Arcanicon. That was Minimize. Yeah, you did run a Moomark on its own though, didn't you? I did. Or the Heroes and Monsters. I did that as well. Yes. It had two Hasharan with it. <laughs> but you had a Moomok Fark as well, because you killed hobbits. Oh, uh, yes. Some like 60 hobbits in two turns. Yeah, and you also managed to get a guy to reboard a Moomok in a tournament, which I don't think has ever been done anywhere, literally having someone get back onto a Moomok. I've had two events where people have boarded my Moomok. One was the rescue mission. The tower was overrun. The Goblin King was climbing up the side. The Moria Goblin King, by the way. <laughs> my archers have been shot to pieces. The chieftain and his last two men are like, we need evac and we need it now. My Moomok smashes its way through two cave trolls, pulls up next to it. They bail on because my archers had been killed, so there was space. And then they just powered out as the Goblin King got to the top and it was just that bit too far so we couldn't jump over. <laughs> the other one was where it got lured in close to train and pinned there by a bunch of models while they stormed up and tried to leap on and clawed their way to the top <laughs> and my chieftain was there fending them off. So just from that, you get the idea that we see almost every army. I think particularly in Victoria, it's becoming even more prevalent in New South Wales also, I think. But in Victoria, I think we have seen just about every single possible army played in the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head what we haven't seen, and it's very few and far between, I guess. The, I guess the only one we haven't really seen in Melbourne is Lake Town, and that's simply because uh, Jeremy hasn't gotten there yet. <laughs> He's <laughs> working on it. But there are a few people with Lake Town armies who have just not presented them, I guess, to us yet. I think they're biding their time and waiting. There are low points cost armies, so it'll take a while to paint. Yeah, true. that too. So, I mean, it's really cool, though, that we are seeing such a wide variety now of armies at tournaments. And I think that comes into a lot of the increased attendance that we've had not just here in Victoria, but interstate as well. I mean, Warzone, which is a tournament run up in New South Wales, they had 24 players, which was pretty much unheard of in the, in the Lord of the Rings scene up there for since about 2006. It was quite a huge number of attendees, which is really good to see. And you yourself, Josh, managed to beat that, what, one week later? Shh. <laughs> well, actually, that, that, <laughs> works, that works well uh, leading into the next topic, which is TOing, tournament organising. Mm. And Josh, I think you do have a lot to say about this and how it's evolved recently. I think one of the main factors that's really helped tournaments to be successful and to grow is the fact that a lot of the TOs have actually, again, crossing back to the Facebook page, been able to interact and bounce ideas off one another to growth and development. A lot of the guys from New South Wales have spoken to myself or other members of the community and asked about like how we do our tournaments. We've provided information to them. And we've gotten good ideas back from them as well. And now people from 
Adelaide are asking the people in New South Wales how to do something. People in Western Australia are speaking to the people in Queensland. It's this real interaction that's really helped the TOs to develop and make their tournaments bigger and better. And I think you're taking over Minimise, aren't you? Yeah, I'm taking over Minimise from Travis for oh, nice. next year, 2015. So be there. <laughs> we <laughs> will. <laughs> yep. Information when it becomes available. Yeah, I mean... That's another thing as well. We've got more TOs coming into it. A lot of people who have been very timid and scared, unsure of themselves in terms of getting started, have have actually kind of gained the confidence to get involved, which is awesome to see. To a large extent, it comes down to there was a lot of people who wanted to run tournaments, but they're all just sort of staring at each other going, you go first. No, you go first. And now we've (laughs) we've seen new people coming in, having a shot, having a go, and they're saying, sure, if they can, why can't I? Exactly, and it's it's really cool to see. One of the big things that's helped particularly is the ability for terrain. One of the main problems a lot of tournament organisers have had, being able to source it, provide it for people to play on. They've now been able to speak to others over the page, organise it and borrow it and help make it bigger in that sense as well. But people who have had trouble writing players' packs because they might have a bit of difficulty putting ideas to paper, they've been able to borrow other people's ideas and can still run an amazing tournament based off a a simple system that they've been able to share with others, which is really quite cool. How many hours do you think you put into these tournaments? How much manpower does it take to actually get a a big tournament off the ground? I would probably say for every hour of a tournament, there's probably about four or five hours of planning. So if a tournament's going all day, we'll say eight, nine hours. Think about that. It's probably about 40 hours all up maybe of work. I've only just started to look at minimise, but I'd agree. (laughs) The more you look at it, the bigger it gets. Yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm a bit... Rambunctious, I guess. I started planning one of my tournaments back in October, nine months before it was even meant to happen, before I'd even finished running the actual tournament that was before it. And I can say straight up, there's a lot of logistics that are involved, stuff like organising a venue, organising people to attend, payment systems, prizes, a lot of stuff like that that needs to be sorted. And I think that's another thing that we're seeing. We've seen a lot of venues open up that are willing to help run these events and provide help for those people who want to run the tournaments, which is nice. Uh, Yes. I'm thinking, since we brought Danny along as the outside opinion, the person who hasn't even tried to run a (laughs) tournament, to just give us an outside look, we should probably hear from him. Yeah, that'd be a great idea. How do you feel about like the rise of the tournament scene, so to speak? Well, one really good thing I find about tournaments is they make me paint armies much, much <laughs> quicker. If you have more tournaments on, I will paint a lot more armies, which is a really good thing. Hmm. However, it's also a bad thing because I have to paint more. But, um, <laughs> I, yeah, I really like there. lots of tournaments being up because then there's more closer to you, there's more far away, and that's really good because I much prefer when a tournament's next door to me. Hmm. You know, it's really easy, but that sucks for you Western suburbs guys and stuff where you have to travel to Croydon or something to play in a tournament. So I figure if there's lots... In other places that are inconvenient for me, it's much more convenient for someone else, I figure. Otherwise, you wouldn't run it there. I mean, don't run tournaments on French Island or anything. <laughs> no True. But yeah, I think that's a really positive thing and a good thing. Calendar is getting a little bit busy, which is nice to see as well. Like, I was looking at the calendar for January. We've almost got three tournaments on the one day in different mm-hmm. states, yep. which is quite impressive to see. And I mean, we had a few years ago, I think we had 16 tournaments in one year, or 18 tournaments in one year. And that was considered huge. And we've already gotten, before we get to January, about 20. So, I mean, before we get to July, we've got about 20 planned. So, 
it, it's amazing. It's, it's actually big, getting yeah. that you have to book the date if you're planning on running a tournament. <laughs> you have to look at the long range yeah. calendar and go, ooh, July 2032 is open. Let's do this. Yeah, that who, was a, who, who's that was toes a... am I treading on here? I mean, yeah. <laughs> that was a feature you brought out recently, wasn't it, Josh? You just on the page. Yeah, post, yeah, on the community page. Yeah, I mean, that's another advantage. We do have a calendar system and that kind of lets us promote and have stuff ahead of time spaced out which is quite nice i've just been informed that uh 2012 did have 23 tournaments total set to double that next year very interesting with style another really good thing about the tournament scene now is you have lots of options as a player do i want to go to this tournament that tournament big tournament small tournaments basically having conflict once a year and that's it or something yeah and have options. Yeah, there's a huge variety. I did a, actually a long post on a Wargamer forum about the various points levels that were in the 2012 tournaments, and it was pretty much everything between 250 and 1,000 points. Every 50 points was there. Pretty impressive when you think about it. But actually, that's something else as well. Like We've seen over the years, unfortunately, Games Workshop has had a lower presence with tournaments not just for Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, but for 40k and fantasy, particularly here in Australia. We've recently had two battle bunkers close in the past 12 months, which were part of the mainstay of tournaments for a lot of games yeah. to get started. Losing Campbell in Melbourne and has, hurt, has hurt a few people, and Power, of course, up in Sydney. In New so. South Wales. So uh, that, that's really hurt. But everyone's still willing to one, run these tournaments, which is really good to see. And not having that support, but changing how we organise and how they function... It's less people holding hands with Games Workshop to run something. It's very much now that people are feeling that they can do it for themselves and the community is almost self-sustaining now, very much of how it runs itself. At the end of this podcast, can we edit in a minute's silence for Camberwell? I think oh, we should. And for Para, I think we should. Yeah. Yeah. should just two minutes silence. Two minutes silence? <laughs> we'll edit <laughs> that in. <laughs> We're not actually going to have It's not hard to do. We don't have to do anything for it. No, and Trav's <laughs> not on this cast, is he? No, he's not. <laughs> should be easy. <laughs> just back quickly on that venue that you were discussing before like with western suburbs and everything like that we've now got tournaments in different places all throughout each and every state we've got tournaments now being run here in victoria alone we've got them as far away as melton we've got them up in croydon we've got them where else uh in the city in pretty much smack bang near melbourne uh western suburbs footscray We've got them all over the place, which is really quite cool now. And the same thing happened. in Bandura, don't we? Yeah, in Bandura yep. as well. And then, um, and then look at New South Wales. The reason we're using New South Wales as a bigger example is probably because we've had more of an involvement travelling there. Like you've got Parramatta, you've got it in the city, Castle Mall. You've got a few different areas where it's really spread out, which is really quite nice to see. And I mean, the WA guys, I probably feel the most sorry for in a way because they are a little bit further from Victoria than we'd necessarily like. Travelling over there is something that I really want to get to do for a tournament. I would like to get across there just to play on that Helm's Deep board. Yeah, that Helm's Deep table looks really good. We've seen that quite a few times. Very, very nice board the boys have got over there. So shout out to them. International listeners from like the UK or something, it's just pitying us having to drive (laughs) half an hour or something to get to a tournament. Yeah, but we don't mind. I mean, a lot of us travel interstate for a tournament now because it's not necessarily cheap to travel for a tournament, but we do it because of the experience. And even if we don't win anything, it's more like we've got to go play someone new and different, which is one of the great things about tournaments. You're not playing little Timmy or little Johnny that you know from a local gaming store that you've gone and meet up for a game every week. You're playing against a faceless opponent. <laughs> yes, who may or may not know what a certain model does. We could all just wear cunning disguises or something. <laughs> we could I'm have a tournament with Vendetta masks on. Yeah. I'm halfway yes. there with the Gandalf with hat. With the Gandalf hat. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
I'd like to remind our international listeners that an atlas was required for our understanding of this podcast. Mm. Yeah, you might want to crack one open, have a good yeah, look at Australia. For, yeah, French Island is like an hour and a half, two hours outside of <laughs> Melbourne for the record. And, and you've an got island. to take a boat. On a ferry. Yeah, yeah. ferry, even. But um, actually, yeah, I was just about to say, I've travelled to New Zealand this year for a tournament, so travel's not an issue, really. Well, not for you. Not for you. <laughs> no, I have no, no shame. I've ever. played in four states and one territory in Australia. I've played one, one uh, tournament in Canberra, and... Every area has a little bit of difference, a little point of difference with how the players like to play it. Sydney, actually, the New South Wales area has become a lot more uh, like Victoria, I think, in recent times. they've. That means we're winning. That it's, it's either they're becoming more like us or we're becoming more like them. I'm not entirely sure. Heaven forbid that we start a state of origin between New oh, South no. Wales and Victoria. Huzzah! Let's I've said it here, folks, here first, folks, just to let you know. As long as I'm not matched up against Michael Kerr. Actually, that's just one... You raised that point a little bit there, which kind of gave me a direction to go with this next set of rambling words that are coming out of my mouth, and that is terrain. We talked about briefly how we're borrowing terrain from other sources, and a big problem was that there was never a lot of terrain on tables, and now we've seen this huge increase of Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit becoming a skirmish battle game again. It's not as open, particularly New South Wales, having been there for a few years now. It's gone very much from four buildings and a forest on a table to very much the more battle, close-knit forests and rivers and everything and around the terrain has really increased, which yeah. is an interesting way of playing. It's a different way of playing, and it's probably a reference of our different influences. I remember, because I'm part of a gaming club, NWA, that for the early minimizers, for the early tournaments, we did, as a club, have to get together like a month before and say, you need to provide two tables, you need to do this, we'll all get together on this day, and we might have enough terrain by the time we get there. Nowadays, we just ask Jeremy. Yeah. (laughs) Nowadays, we've got a list of numbers. Call this guy. If he's busy, call that guy. Yeah, Yeah. which is awesome. And we're also willing and open to pass that terrain on and lend it. Like, we're not holding it back so that our tournaments are more successful than someone else's. That's what we're doing wrong. (laughs) I think we're, sh- we're onto something there. Just start hoarding terrain. No, nah, that's for my use only. You can't have any. Well, then it would need to be our terrain to start off with. <laughs> we couldn't just borrow it from someone else. Yeah, or, or borrow the Battle Bunkers terrain like we did for a while. Good times, good times. Well, they don't need it anymore, of course. There's no Battle Bunker. Oh, well, we're surviving without it, I guess. Well, except for... Queensland. Queensland has Matt Cravat. Matt Cravat will oh, probably the, outlast the best us all. store in Australia. I think, having been there a couple of times, it is massive. Those guys have no idea how lucky they are. Yeah, they have staff. <laughs> <laughs> for those people who do work for Games Workshop, it's called more than one. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. Like seeing a lot of the places we play. You spoke briefly about NWA gaming clubs they're one of probably the most untapped resources that we have like everyone goes awesome i can go into a games workshop and play a game i can go into a another gaming store and play a game i can go into an indie store play a game gaming clubs better terrain they're not going to sit there and go hey you want to buy this (laughs) box set today or do you need some dice it's a lot more open and you can learn a lot more and i just want to get like the rise of uh, NWA, which seems to do so well here in Victoria, as an example of a, of a prominent gaming club. One of the main things that I like about being part of a gaming club like NWA is the variety that you can pack into a gaming day. Part of the club, there's historical wargamers, the sci-fi wargamers, there's all the rest. But amongst our Lord of the Rings group, every now and then we decide, hey, let's have a Legends of the Old West campaign. We spend the next month just battling it out with cowboys, and then we go, ah, tournament coming up, quick. We need to practice our rings again. <laughs> it's just the variety that you can do. Like, we've got a Mordheim campaign going on at the moment. 
By the way, if you want to be part of a Mordheim campaign, <laughs> this is the place to be. Yeah, actually, that's an interesting thing. Heaps of people are always jealous of the terrain that Lord of the Rings players play on. Oh, I've yes. seen that at NWA. We've heard it at uh, like Arcanicon when all the 40k players go, oh man, why can't we play on that table? Because it's Lord of the Rings. It's not for you. Yes, you can't fit tanks down the streets of Osgiliath. No. It just doesn't work. <laughs> or at least not a Bane Blader or Imperial Knight. <laughs> um, also, I'd say gaming clubs are great for new players and stuff, of course. You go to a Games Workshop store, you've got an employee who's really just trying to sell you stuff. <laughs> How do I make a new army? How do I do this? How do I do that? And of course, their first encouragement, they're trying to sell you things. So they'll be less inspiring to see, you know, like you don't see the Games Workshop guys collection and go, I want to do that. I want to do that. Well, they're new scenery because they're a bit restricted in what they do. I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, James Ryder in in New Zealand, who uh, famously took four Gorgoroth orc cords and put them on a table as a joke for one of the New Zealand gaming days, and then basically sold a heap of things off it. He, I think he was one of the first to convert the nine all on fell beasts with like special scenic terrain when the War of the Ring first mm-hmm. came out. But uh, that kind of inspired yeah. people. Yeah, but you don't always have yeah. people yeah. like that, which is what you're getting. They'll often say a 40k player or a fantasy player. So yeah. they're not necessarily in the Lord of the Rings. But if you go into a Lord of the Rings gaming club and you're also sort of guaranteed that if you know there's people at NWA, there's normally a Lord of the Rings player there or several of us playing games. So if you're walking, you're likely to get a game. If you tell us on the Facebook page first you're more likely to get a game. I just want to give a quick shout out to some of our affiliated gaming clubs. Uh, Badger out in Bendigo and, or Ballarat, one of the two. I'm sorry, I've probably offended you now. Uh, it's Bendigo, I'm pretty Bendigo, sure. Bendigo, the Sunshine Coast Gaming Club up in Queensland. Another place if you want to play Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. That's go the uh, Second Legion Gaming Club, I believe. The Second Legion. I'm yep. doing really well. I should just quit <laughs> now while I'm ahead. But uh, uh, Cherrybrook Tech Adepts, who yep. uh, also run Clash of the Titans, one of the big tournaments up in... Uh, New South Wales, they're a, another prominent gaming club that you can get involved in. And then there's the Western Suburb War Gamers. And of course, NWA, which is the Non Awarding War Games Association. Yeah. Gordon and Mitchum. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you can't find their websites, the information is available as a link on the uh, Facebook page. Just subtle. Hint. Or ask us and we'll tell you. Yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, we're, we're old enough and ugly enough to provide directions. Though you might not want to follow them. No. <laughs> I think now would be a good time just to say uh, if anyone wants to tell us about their gaming clubs or their communities, feel free to drop us a line. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, we'd definitely love to hear about that. Yeah, for sure. So, and anything about your community, the friends you've made, uh, your connections in different areas, and, and just how you like to engage with the game and the players. So, anything you'd like to tell us about that, feel free to drop us a line either on the Facebook page or at our email, greendragonpodcast at gmail.com. As well, uh, if you are running a tournament or thinking of running a tournament, hit us up. We're, we're here. We're an untapped resource. We'd love to help you get your idea off the ground. So, yeah, one of the last things I want to mention is just the great friends that I've made through this game and how it's become more than just a game for me. It's become, like, a very large part of my life. Uh, a lot of my best friends now are a lot of the people who do this podcast. I think and... he's talking to you. <laughs> no, no, no. The secret signal was looking at you. Oh, no. <laughs> I missed your the secret mate. signal. Your mate. Your mate. Your mate. Uh, Yeah, a a lot of really good friends, uh, a lot of really good just times down at tournaments and playing just casual games. Yeah. How about you guys? Yeah, exactly that. Like the the friends you make in a tournament. You and you and I pretty much lived together for a while as well, Matt, because we were gigantic nerds who played Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. That's us. We actually met our own gaming club that then kind of fell apart. They've got t-shirts. Yes, they do have t-shirts. They're wearing wearing them right now. Yes. (laughs) No one else is wearing theirs. I forgot. I think that says a lot about how it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to 
forget that painful yeah, existence. Yeah. <laughs> Some of us are, not all of us will. I like to live in the past. Yeah, um, the community is one of the things that makes this hobby really good. So there's the painting and stuff, but it's the interaction with people makes it more than just sitting at home Yeah, you know, at your desk playing computer games or painting yeah. models or something, I mean, which makes it good. Some of the people that we meet from interstate through the community page as well, who we would never normally speak to, like people from another state like that. As an example, uh, Andrew from South Australia, some of his models are quite great painted and he also gives us a lot of ideas on like how they play tactics and stuff. Never would have met him if it hadn't been for the page and the promotion of kind of tournaments and scenes between us. Same can be said for very much New South Wales. Uh, Johnny Spicer Bell, one of the talented painters up there, loves some of his work. Just another example of someone else that we would probably never have seen who probably would never have gotten really as heavy into the hobby as he has without the community to bounce off. And that's a great thing. We bounce off one another. We encourage one another to keep going. I would have probably stuck with Gondor for a very long time until Travis taught me about these things called elves and elven blades. And they're amazing. I might still be playing goblins now if I hadn't met Travis as well. So yeah. <laughs> I think the interesting thing about the community that I have to point out is that I am absolutely useless with names. But people don't mind being referred to as, hey, you had goblins that time. And they go, yeah, and you go, yeah. Oh my god, I was literally that guy. Yeah, 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 you remember that guy. (laughs) Or like, it's the gold Eastlings. Oh yeah, the gold Eastlings guy, sort of thing. Oh, most Eastlings are gold. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Are you the one with the gold rims or... I used to. I used to. I've repainted them since because I realised just how how bad they were. (laughs) Thanks for the suggestion, Josh. Yeah. Hey, uh, well, I I was known for a little while as the display board guy, and now people are copying my display boards in Queensland and New South Wales, so that makes me feel a little bit more important. Display boards. They annoy me. Not only copying, (laughs) they're doing it better. Yeah. I'll, I'll pay that. People who have got much there have better. been some amazing ones. I'm thinking of uh, Tim's in particular. Goblin Town I, one. I yeah. am a fan though of Ken's gaming of Ken's display board, which is literally just a Macca's tray, and he just blue tacks the models onto <laughs> I've seen that. A few of those actually. Yeah. I mean, just don't tell Macca's. We do not condone the theft of Macca's trays for the use as a display board. Macca's is McDonald's, by the way, yes. down here in Australia. This well, podcast does not support the theft of any objects which may be questionably obtained from any sources. <laughs> <laughs> Including this podcast. You can download it for free off SoundCloud and iTunes and stuff. You do not need to illegally download this podcast. <laughs> Unless you did, in which case we're after you. Right <laughs> now. We already have your IP address. We're on our way. Someone's linked it already on the Facebook page. What? <laughs> that wasn't meant to happen. Oh, well. Something I wanted to touch on that I think we already touched on briefly. Um, this is what happens usually when Matt's trying to remember how his army I'll works. And I'll he's trying, he's like, hang on, I'm meant to do something here. It's usually a heroic, but he usually forgets. Until after he's seen what your heroic was. Yes, by which case it's too late because he had priority. <laughs> I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> Dang oh. it. Oh, no, it was uh, the differences. I, I sort of touched on it, but I didn't get to talk about the differences in styles of play. I just wanted to briefly go into how the style has changed over time in the different states, but you still get these little unique things. So, for instance, Ad- Adelaide still has these really teched lists that aim to get every last point out of each thing. Not necessarily. Do you want to it- build a. What's the thing, the joke? Do you want to build a spoman or whatever? Do you want to build a spoman? That's One a question. Bowman. Why are they called Spomen when they could be called Beermen? Oh That's my good goodness. Point. We've been. We've totally oh, been doing no. this wrong for so long. Mind blowing. It's just. 
<laughs> or Behrman. It depends on the pronunciation. But. So, yeah, I think Adelaide does these really techy lists. Brisbane, they tend to just take quite themed stuff. I, I really enjoyed their stuff. Like, Adelaide seems to like Boromir. <laughs> we saw like a few a, Boromirs a We went to a tournament there, and there was four Boromirs of the White Tower there. And it was just Melbourne like... likes Boromir as well. Yeah, but this... you don't waste points on all that extra stat. You show him, show up with six might and kill things. Actually, one of the big changes as well, and I've noticed it, is a lot of the people in New Zealand use little blocks of wood cut to six inches as measuring sticks, whereas we're all used to tape measures. So that's a bit of an issue that mm. i personally not a fan of, but... To each to their own, I guess, which is a bit different. I, I don't trust my ability to cut a bit of wood to six inches. And it depends if it's hot or warm. It could shrink, yes. okay. contract. standardisation <laughs> You need that extra bit of move so you leave it in a humid place. You yeah, know? It's, like, it's the next level of like getting loaded dice. I've got a loaded tape measure. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So, altogether, the way that tactics have evolved in Australia is an interesting topic that we might go into a bit further in a different podcast. I think is one of the most interesting things about the overall community and the way that the page has exacerbated that. Mm. So, yeah, I, I think that's a really good note to uh, end it on, possibly. I what still think, think we're winning. <laughs> I, I'm just glad that the community is so... It's members of all of this, our states and territories. It's members of overseas coming together. We've very much built it as an Australian community. We have that feel... There's a camaraderie and mateship that you do see as Australians, which is great to see on the page. And we each want to help each other, which is another great little thing that's very unique to our page. There's very, very little, little negative criticism that you see on the page and people putting others down. And generally, if there is anything like that, it's basically everybody gets together to help that person get through any issue that they have had or are having. Final thoughts? We're number one. Um, I think our international listeners are going to be emailing us and telling us how wrong we are and that we play games weird over yeah, in no Australia. Yeah, no doubt. I'm be, sure we'll hear a lot about that. Tell us why we're wrong, guys. I'll be interested to wrong. see or hear about how the other countries are different and more, how, say, Lord of the Rings is played in France or something. You know, yeah, I'd love to hear It could be interesting. Yeah. You know, people might put their spears in the front rank or something. Actually, that's something I do want to say quickly, is the competitive nature of tournaments is exactly that. It's restricted to a tournament. We don't have a gaming league where people are competing to be the best in the country. It's very much a case of we are going along to have fun, have a good time at a competition... If we win, we win. There's no grand scheme or anything like that. It's all about playing the hammers and having a good time, meeting a few people, and if you're unfortunate enough to stay with Sean in Sydney, probably <laughs> getting a little bit inebriated. Just a bit. Yeah, I love just walking into a room uh, at a tournament, just seeing all the people I know, a handful of new people who I immediately walk over and introduce myself because I desperately want to play some new people as well. And yeah, just the, the feeling in the room is just brilliant. There's nothing as great as going to a tournament and not having to play Trav. <laughs> um, I know yeah, the feeling. Because that used to occur <laughs> quite often that you'd end up going into a tournament and playing all your people from your gaming club yeah. and no one else. But it doesn't seem to be too much of an issue these days because there's more larger tournaments and well, round draws. I don't know, just for me, have been much nicer. It's always fun trying to juggle like a tournament organising. You'll learn this, David, trying to juggle the orders for a tournament so you're not playing someone you know or you're not playing... This person's not playing this person because they're related, or this person's not playing that person because they're giving them a lift home, and if that loses, well, it's going to be a long train trip, Paul. All right, so thanks, guys, for helping me talk about the Australian community and uh, everything we've achieved over the last couple of years in this podcast. And until next time, Traps Win Games. 
Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.